You know that feeling when you're at school and you knew you were going to be going on an excursion or a school trip the next day and you were beside yourself with excitement? That is exactly the same feeling I have right now because it is a milestone in which Carl Weekly's history, lauded history, no doubt, uh, because we are doing our first outside recording. We have left, we've fledged the nest that is the recording studio at Bauer Media in Oakley and we have arrived at one of the most iconic pubs in Australia, perhaps even the world, for the first time, and hopefully not the last, if we don't outstay our welcome, we're bringing uh, Witch Car Weekly number 36 from the Hotel Esplanade in St Kilda. Better known as the Espy. Thank you. Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine. That's me, hello. And across the table from him we have Andy Enright, uh, Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine. G'day. And joining us for this very special edition, we have... My boss. I don't know whether that's a good idea or not. Glenn Butler, uh, content director from Witch Car. Welcome. Does it surprise you that the first time I make my debut, it's at a pub? Not at <laughs> all. And for the, for the benefit of people who are not present, he does have a beer in front of him. Absolutely. I've always wanted to follow in the footsteps of Julia Zemiro and the Rockwiz crew. So oh, I figured, yes. hey, what an opportunity. Let's give it a go. We could fill the entire half hour of this episode just talking about the things that this pub has done and seen. Not all of them, hopefully most of them are not broadcastable. Um, <laughs> but as of 2018, when it reopened after extensive renovations, they decided, to, with the brilliant idea, to install a podcast recording studio. And we thought, why not make the most of it and, and add to the hotel's history. I'd say that I missed our uh, freezing and or boiling cramped <laughs> studio cupboard at the witch car offices, but I don't. This is much nicer. This is way nicer. You can expect this to be a regular occurrence, if not necessarily every week, but certainly as often as we Suddenly, which card podcast are daily, not weekly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <At the pub. laughs> That's right. No one was ever seen at the office ever again. Um, despite the fact that our surroundings are very different today, we are going to do exactly what we do best, which car weekly and that is discuss all our favourite motoring topics from the week and sometimes further into the past. Um, today, starting with, let's kick off uh, something I wanted to give a shout out about, and that is Motor Classica. Um, if you're listening to this very soon after we post it uh, on Podbean or wherever else you get your podcasts, uh, Motor Classica, one of the premier motoring events, uh, motor show events, is happening from now. It's going all weekend. Um, if you can get to, where is it? What's it called? The Royal, is it the Royal Exhibition? Royal Exhibition Building yes. uh, in Carlton, in the gardens there. If you can get to it, I wholeheartedly encourage that you do because it's bloody wonderful. It's a great event. Um, but into the regular, regular talk topics. On today's chat, the search for an Aussie air in a parched paddock, a charging bull at the Penguin Parade, and Herod's homegrown horsepower hero. We're I love get... alliteration. You do, you got, it's quite sweet how much you look forward to my little... Uh, yes. They're not always great. That one was uh, mediocre at best. <laughs> Um, okay, Scotty, kick us off. There was some exciting news late last night. You've known about this for a little while, but you were only about, allowed to talk about it as of about six o'clock last night. Tell us everything. Yes, okay. So there is a supercharged Mustang now available. Well, next year it'll be available. It's available to order now uh, from Ford showrooms. Uh, this has been a long time in the making, this car. Uh, let me go through basically what it is first and then tell you why it's a big deal. So... It's called the Ford Mustang Aspect, which we will get to the name in a minute. We, um, we must. <laughs> uh, so it starts life as a Mustang GT and then at a small production line in Ford's Campbellfield HQ, they turned it into basically a supercharged monster. So it's a Ford performance supercharger kit. Uh, they're not 
they're not saying what how much power it's going to have yet, but Ford Performance have. So uh, <laughs> 522 kilowatts, 827 newton metres. Wow. Um Lowered suspension, adjustable sway bars, different wheels, exterior jazz up, and the thing looks pretty cool. Uh, $99,980, just scrapes under 100k, available in all four dealerships. Uh, 500 will be made, all in manual. Good. Uh, what else? What else? What have I forgotten? Well, I mean, that's that's probably that's the brochure. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the significance of that car yes. for us. Um, it sounds profoundly Australian because, of course, the modifications are done here, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They so this is the closest thing we've got to an Aussie-made car since uh, all local manufacturing ended in 2017. Yeah, absolutely. That's why it's such a big deal because it's a kind of it's kind of a tricky one. It's Put together in Australia, but all the bits come from the US, the car and all the bits. They're basically yeah. all from the Ford Performance Parts catalogue. Uh, but a lot of Aussie know-how has gone into this car. Like, it had to get past all the Australian regulations. That's the big thing about this car. Like, you can get a modified Mustang any day of the week, but this has a full five-year Ford warranty, has its own service schedule, it's got spare parts support from Ford Australia, it's got, you know, it's basically a Ford brand-new car. Right. Really big. So That's kind of a big deal, isn't it? It's a very big deal, and it's very, very, very hard to do. Um, even people within the industry are sort of scratching their heads going, how the hell did they get you know, a car with almost 200 more kilowatts in the stock version through emissions? Because it's gone through the full suite of emissions testing, noise testing, durability testing. So it, uh, you're never going to get pulled up by it. If you sell it, it's never going to be an issue. So it's very, very exciting and a very big deal. They've been working on this for a long time. When you when you put it like that, just how difficult it is to get a, a full production version of, of this through, the, the price seems like an absolute bloody bargain to me. Yeah, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I suppose it helps that the bits are all done from Ford Performance. They don't have to produce the bits themselves. Sure. Um, you just basically go to the catalogue. Um, you and you, you and I could just ring up Ford Performance and get the get the bits and put them on our Mustang. But um, we'd have to have a, a you know a wage slightly better than a yeah, motor journalist. That's though, right. To do that. That's right. So um, they've got even though the car is a very limited edition, they've got scale because it's the Ford Performance kit that goes on you know all the modified Mustangs in the US. So that probably is why they can get it just under hundred k. Tell me about the US. I got a question. We'll get to your pay rise request later. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> that happens every week. <laughs> Does the US have anything like this? They don't. No, they don't. I asked that question. Um, they have kind of dealer fit stuff, uh, but in terms of like a turnkey package, basically from the factory, no, there's nothing like that. Obviously, they've got the Shelby stuff, and that's why Ford Australia's kind of built this car because we don't have access to the Shelby portfolio because it's left hand drive only. I mean, I've heard that. Ford Australia um, might have created that situation by saying, no, I don't think we'd sell any when they got offered a right-hand drive version back in whenever mm-hmm. before they got built. But uh, that's a story for another time. Um, so because we don't have the Shelbys, we needed a hypo Mustang. Customers want it. Everybody's modifying their Mustangs. So Ford Australia wanted, understandably, a piece of the pie. Yeah, there's no shortage of modified Mustangs. I mean, motor magazines covered, I don't know, dozens of them in the past years. But the big news with this one is it's an official factory-backed and that comes with things because we've had a few dramas with modified Mustangs. Basically, um, we've written about the fact that the standard car on a track in automatic guys um, can't really take sustained punishment. And add a supercharger on it, it tends to only get worse. So we've had cars that, you know, will start pulling power out of by the end of a 400 metre run. Um, you know, your experience may vary. Uh, and there is no automatic car for the RSpec, they will say, because they. All their customers 
want manuals, limited edition, tend to, you know, all the, the bullets were all manuals. Uh, Ford XR8 Sprint take-up was mainly manual. Yeah. Uh, but it also is the case that they couldn't get the automatic to work. So, <laughs> so 522 kilowatts, rear-wheel drive, yes. manual gearbox, and you're going to be the one who's going to try and get the numbers out. <laughs> Good luck with that, mate. I did ask them about this. I'm like, you're not going to perform it. You're not going to set a claim, are you? And they said, no. I'm like, thank God, because I could just see them setting out, you know, like like many manufacturers do. This will do 3.9 seconds to 100 on drag slicks, you know, with all the seats taken out. And then you've got to try and replicate it. Eight so seconds thankfully, later. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully, uh, yeah, a, a tall-geared rear-wheel drive supercharged Mustang isn't going to be the f- easiest car to get off the line. No, we shared your story on the uh, on the wheels facebook page and normally the wheels commenters you know they're pretty petrol headed but jason i love this comment that you wrote on there would absolutely love one but jesus that's a lot of power (laughs) (laughs) no one's ever said that before much power well i could interest jason in a uh, standard mustang gt that (laughs) has less power and is available at all four dealerships (laughs) as well did you see what mount tune announced um in the u.s there their uh, department in the US announced a 2.3 litre EcoBoost, okay, 510 kilowatts. Whoa, <laughs> from the EcoBoost? Yes, yep, from the EcoBoost. Um, oh, my God. Uh, I don't know whether they're going to sell you the extended um, seven-minute head gasket warranty. That's not an official Ford product. Yeah, so the aspect well. comes early Feb next year, which at which point... Very similar timing will be the 2.3, what do they call it? The 2.3 high performance, the new EcoBoost essentially. Um, So yeah, faster Mustangs are coming. So they've created what many people perceive to be the perfect Mustang and yet uh, they went to all that trouble and then they completely cocked it up when it came to the name. No one sat down in a board meeting and heard the way it sounded. Did no one hear Arspec? Arspec. No one heard it. They sat around, they had all these meetings. This has been going on for months, possibly even years, and no one thought to say, that sounds a bit stupid. And if it was the first time they'd used the name, you could potentially forgive them. But, of course, not. they have used it before on the FPV GT, Arspec. Arspec. Once you say it that way, you can't do anything else. Can you hear any other way? Arspec. Um, yeah, but... I suppose, you know, there's some Aussie connection to it, so they should have called it. I don't know, what should they have called it instead? Uh, well, it's RS. Ford Mustang RS. Oh, yeah. yeah and then it fits with the rest of the other Ford Performance branding, you know, the Focus RS. People would have understood that it's the, the top of its game. I don't know. Mr. Herod likes Arspec because he says it's called a Robspec. You can't say Mr. Herod likes Arspec. That is potentially <laughs> scandalous. And, yes, okay. It sounds horrific. Sorry, Rob. It's probably a very good moment to move on. You are listening to our four voices coming to you from the 140-year-old Hotel Esplanade, or as Scotty pointed out earlier, the SB. Um, our Esplanade? Isn't it Esplanade? Esplanade, I've always known it as. Well, just blame this damn accent. But Dan is English, isn't he? It's so- not like... Seven-seater Cadillac SUV. I may also say... Rolling uh, in my Esplanade. Bathurst, which is going this weekend. Oh, and get away with it because don't. it's my accent. Why don't you go to Bathurst along the Esplanade and you're out Don't pine. judge. Don't you judge me. I think somewhere else somewhere <laughs> else where I was judged heavily for my accent and my um, suspicious nationality. I spent the whole of last weekend at the Denny Ute Muster. <laughs> and it is a miracle that I am A, not wearing an Akubra, B haven't had a mullet haircut and see dead. But you did wear a bluey. I did, I did, I participated. Okay, so for those who don't know what the, the Denny Ute Must is, Deniliquin is a little town uh, in far south New South Wales, uh, and each year there is the largest gathering of utes on the planet. 
and along with those Utes, eight and a half thousand of them, um, come their owners. And that's the most concerning thing. Because, as I understood it before I went, they are some some of the finest examples of boganism that Australia has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I honestly thought I was going to die. Obviously, Englishmen turning up at one of the most country and bogan things simultaneously rolled into one. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. Heartland, yes. isn't it? Heartland, Australia. It, well, yes, yes. It was warming. It was actually, you know, I became a citizen many years ago and, and I, I can say that I feel a little bit more Australian having survived the Denny Ute muster. So um, this is a gathering of Utes and it's also a country music festival. Uh, Tim McGraw played, if you know, which is quite significant. Um, I even had a, a sit down and chat with John Williamson. So it's actually, it's a, it's a big deal. It's, an, it's a far more, better, it's a better organised event than I was expecting. Um, and is it kind of like a dusty summonats? It's. I'm, I've never been to summonats, but I'm told it's nowhere near as horrific, um, <laughs> because there there are families, there are kids, there's young and old. People go mostly for the for the music as much as the the Utes. Mm-hmm. If you want to find the absolute Darrow kind of feral part of it, it's there in shovel loads for you. And while I was there, um, uh, this is no word of a lie. A, a, a Ute did get rolled onto its roof and torched. <laughs> So there is that part if you want it. It had it coming. Yeah, exactly. It did. Yeah, apparently the guys had just driven it to it almost deliberately to do that. Anyway, <laughs> um, the reason we went was to ask the question, now that you can't buy an a, a Australian-made ute anymore, car-based ute, whether it be a Holden or a Ford, what will the Denny ute muster look like in another 21 years? Because it turned 21 this year. So mm-hmm. we arrived in a Dodge Ram, uh, sorry, a Ram 1500, sold us the Dodge Ram in the US, and a Sangyong Musso. Oh, I wonder why that was in the car park. Yes. A weird-looking thing, that thing. And we presented these two cars to the most discerning new audience on, in the world. Oh, I get it. The Sangyong Musso is the one they rolled over and set on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be an awkward phone call. <laughs> I'm so pleased they did. Uh, so, yeah, um, how do you think they went? What would you think? So these, these people have been uh, driving car-based utes with V8s, all their lives. That's my question. Is, is when you say Utes, it, the, predominantly it is the Holden SS, Ford XR8, rather than yeah. people rocking up in Amaroxes, Hilux, Rangers. That's yeah, hundred percent. I was surprised at how few dual cab Utes and their variants there were. It's so they're kind of shunning the dual cab Utes already, as it is. They're not oh, really. I wouldn't say that. I went um, about seven or eight years ago, okay. and there are a lot of F Series Utes there, for example. A lot of single cabs, though. They, they, right. And I'm not yeah. talking passenger Utes. I'm talking like high like single cabs. You just kids, put the kids in the back. Colorados, the Isuzu's. They love them. <laughs> it's, um, obviously, there is a lot of still. I imagine this year still a lot of Commodore and Falcon-based Utes and probably with truck-sized bull bars on the front. I of mean, the, the five-post rhubarb. What was the most aerials you saw on a car? Uh, 27? So, so they run this event. They run an event called uh, Circle Work, and they do a barrel race as well. And there's all kinds of stipulations. You're not allowed to enter it in a high-riding four-wheel drive ute because they're worried it's going to roll over. So a few stipulations. I thought, you know, is there a speed limit? And when I saw the number of flags on, the, I decided that the wind resistance, which would be approximately the same <laughs> to a re-entering space shuttle, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to get much over 100 with all those flags attached. So, uh, yeah, the flags were, were spectacular. Did they have to stop at any point and shoot a feral pig? <laughs> <laughs> we call them police officers these days. Thank oh. you, Andy. Um, no, so uh, it was... It, it I reckon was, they accepted the ram somewhat with open arms. V8 can do skids. Musso would have been a hard sell. 
not as hard as you might imagine. Really? Yes. And this is what my main takeaway from the entire weekend and the festival is is far more about inclusiveness and sort of mateship and camaraderie than I was expecting. And okay. so you turn up with this muscle, and obviously the people who are doing circle work and barrel races will say doesn't have a V8 and you know exclusively rear wheel drive not going to not going to float. But they did recognise the importance. They recognised that not everyone is keen on keeping a very old um, car-based Ute going for, for decades, and they actually seem to pleasantly accept it. Yeah, right. I saw those pictures of you and uh, your co-presenter, Elise Elliott, and yes. you had the blueies on. Um, it looked like you'd gone native there. I was hoping that you'd wear a grey suit and look like a complete stiff. Um, <laughs> interview a few people, get beaten up. Um, didn't happen for Hello. me. Hello. No, shoot him on sight. In all honesty... A Dan hunting competition. I would have thought that would be basically suicide. But um, having now lived through one, I, would, I think it's, that would be a safe angle. I think people would see the funny side of it and you wouldn't be immediately um, bludgeoned to death <laughs> as some kind of imposter. They are very accepting, aren't they? They're a very welcoming crowd. 100%. That was, that was really the most surprising and, and delightful thing about the whole thing. And festival. it surprised me the year I went just what lengths people go to attend. I, uh, I met a bloke who'd driven his F-150 across from Western Australia from the mines because he grew up in Daniloquin and he and all of his mates had ended up disappearing off to the different corners of Australia. But once a year, they each drove three or four days in each direction to come to the Ute Muster and catch up. Oh, you'd That's have great. a laugh, wouldn't you? Oh, I thought it was incredible, yeah. Um, and th- the whole festival is just... It has that vibe about it. It's just like a big country town that's getting together to have a bit of a celebration. But what I want to know, did you ride the mechanical bulls? <laughs> I did not. Is I did not. Um, I, no, it's not. The nice thing about it, like every... Like, you go to a good party, they have a mechanical bull. You go to a really good party, they have real bulls. Oh. And they actually were doing... And this was, this was one of my favourite moments of the entire uh, Ute muster, was that... I went down to the rodeo and I was able to say, this is my first rodeo. And I'm never, I can never, well, forevermore have to say, it's not my first rodeo, I'm afraid. But (laughs) that day, I could say, this is my first rodeo. Tick. (laughs) Can I say something serious for a moment? Uh It's very unlikely, but yes, please go ahead. Uh, You asked uh, what will uh, attend the muster now, there's no locally made options. Well, a a slight news angle is Nissan just revealed their Navara N-Trek. Yes. Which is, like the Ford Mustang, not really Australian built, but it's Australian developed uh, and a mob called Premcar that usually uh, help out OEMs with cars and mm-hmm. stuff like that are going to build it in some northern suburbs of Melbourne. They've employed 40 people, another cool Aussie manufacturing story. So I guess that's kind of as close as you can get to an Aussie made ute. Sort of. So maybe much. that'll end up. Aren't they going to call it the Warrior? Is that, is that the one? I'm yeah, doing? that's the one I think. Yeah. 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 Entrek Warrior or something. Yeah. I mean, realistically, it, it divides. It divides the audience and the attendees into several different bunches. Those who will who will accept, you know, perhaps something with a blue oval or a lion badge on it, even though it's not necessarily made here anymore. There are those who are very open-minded and will say, well, look, I just need a workhorse, I'll mm-hmm. turn up in whatever's available. And there are those that you just know will be in a shed tinkering with a very old, very sorry-looking yes. V8 forever. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there are those who will put traffic cones on their heads and run at each other in the mud. I got diverted by that video from the Denny Uber. <laughs> <laughs> two, two topless blokes just running blindly at each other. And, uh, yeah, it was great. But we how did, far does their acceptance go? I mean, we know Hyundai is working on a ute. And what about fast forward even further 21 years in Rivian with this electric ute that we may one day see? I think 
to an extent, anonymity works quite well. That people didn't know what the Sangyong was, and so they were actually a little bit more inclined to approach it and explore it a little bit. If you turn up in something that they knew wasn't traditionally a maker of utes or commercial vehicles even, then I would say they're going to be a tougher crowd. The fact that no one really knew what the Sangyong was... The X-Class would be an interesting sell. That would, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. that would be a great one for next year, maybe. Or maybe I'll go in my own ute. I want to go in Stuart Appleby's E39 M5 ute. <laughs> that would do wicked circle work. Can you imagine? Yeah, the, or the barrel race. Would you win it? What's a, what's a, what is a barrel? You've got barrel to put race. barrels on the back? No, it's um, so basically the course is marked out with barrels. Oh, like a motocana. Yeah, and you, you race head-to-head, someone else exactly, oh. and on a duplicated course next to you. That sounds like a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, did, you, well, did you see the gentleman driving, um, drinking out of a prosthetic leg? I, I, that was a far more frequent occurrence than you might way. imagine. <laughs> yeah. there, were, there were people drinking out of everything. Why <laughs> doing the barrel race, was it? <laughs> <laughs> you have to drive around prosthetic legs. So while I was uh, fearing for my life in a dusty paddock in the middle of a drought in somewhere in southern New South Wales, Andy, on the other hand, had taken a different gig, which involved going to Phillip Island and driving Lamborghinis. No prizes for guessing who drew the short straw that weekend. Yeah, I think that was me. So, hang on, I'm the boss, right? Yeah, so we've got that's right. Scotty over here talking about 500-plus kilowatt Mustangs. You've been going to the Denny Ute Muster all weekend. You've been driving overpriced Lamborghinis at Phillip Island. What have you been doing, Glenn? Driving the desk. <laughs> it's rough. Got one word for you, Glenn, delegation. I clearly need to. <laughs> exactly. Dan, do you want to do a job swap for a week? <laughs> sure, yeah, with pleasure. No, what am I agreeing to? That's yeah. a terrible idea. All right, no, Philip, Philip Island was absolutely awesome, as you might expect. It was one of those rare days when it's bluebird and not raining sideways. Very unusual. And on the Gibson Coset. Um, How about the geese? Had, uh, geese were everywhere. Yeah. Um, I didn't manage to mow one down, but, you know. <laughs> next time. Next time. Uh, <laughs> We had Huracan Performante, which is the first time we've driven that in Australia. Is that the rear drive sucker? Uh, no, it's a GD3 RS like uh, one. Okay, okay. Huracan Evo, Aventador S, and uh, the Urus. And they had the, they had the Urus off-road as well on a fairly Mickey Mouse yeah. course. But um, one of the most interesting things, <laughs> apart, apart from being able to hammer these cars around on the circuit, was they had a chap called Matteo Ortenzi along. And he's the CEO of Lamborghini Asia Pacific. And a uh, lovely chap, but he used to be uh, one of the financial controllers at the factory at St. Agata. And uh, he had some brilliant stories to tell of what used to happen at St. Agata. Andy, you had every Lamborghini under the sun and Phillip Island at your beck and call and you ended up having a chat with an accountant? <laughs> <laughs> what did he say that grabbed your attention so? <laughs> uh, he had some amazing tips on profit and loss accounts and turbo tax. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he was, um, you know, you normally speak to these CEO types and, and, and they say nothing. They just talk in platitudes. And we do not speak about future product. Yeah, yeah. You, you go through eight pages of notes and you've got nothing to write in the end of it. But uh, Matteo was really cool. He, he was talking about how, you know, for future engine development at Lamborghini, they don't want to include turbos because the biggest problem that they have is getting rid of heat out of these engines. So he's saying a turbo just adds heat. It's completely the wrong way to go about it. It's not the Lamborghini way. And uh, he's saying that the V12 will continue. Um, but in a hybridised form. And he had a great story about the V12 that went into the Aventador because that looks like a bit of an odd thing. The V12 went all the way back to, what, 350 GT? Yeah, 63. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The bits the are bits in the V12. And it's endured all the way through to 
LP640. Yeah, LP670 SV. Yeah, that's the correct one. And uh, he said, I said to him, how did they get this engine approved financially, you know, to build a brand new V12? Nobody's building brand new V12. And he said, uh, we had this board meeting one day. Uh, Reggiani, Maurizio Reggiani, the technical chief, called this board meeting. We walked into the boardroom and there on the ground was the engine, like in exploded view, all the parts of it. And uh, Ortenzi, the, the money man, said, what's going on here? What's this? And, and Reggiani just said, well, this is the new engine. We're doing it. We've built it already. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even give him the chance. Like, is this going to be too expensive? But, um, he, he had a great story about Valentino Balboni, who was the legendary uh, Lamborghini test driver. Um, I remember once uh, I was on a skiing holiday in France and, and the, the snow was lousy. And I said, I'm, I'm just going to go down to Lamborghini and drive down there. This was probably, I don't know, uh, 2000 or something like that and mm. uh, got a ride with Balboni in a, a Diablo GT and the wow. guy was just crazy how do you just wander in <laughs> and get a, a ride with the chief test driver of Lamborghini I, I, I knew a couple it's because he'd carried Nicky Lauda skis that's yeah. right we learned that about yeah. <laughs> I said I was Dr Professor Ian Qua oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, I, I went out with, with Balboni and he was like sliding this thing around this is a million dollar car today at Diablo GT it's you know 429 kilowatts no traction control or anything and it was just the most fun and I said to, I, I remember asking him at the time I said do you ever get in trouble with this and he was like no 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 you know Lamborghini is such an integral part of the local economy that the police leave us alone now um, Mr. Ortenzi told me that this wasn't actually the case because uh, <laughs> he said one day uh, Balboni arrived at the factory in a car and just gunned it straight through the car park, straight into the factory at speed and uh, parked the car out of sight. And about uh, five minutes later or so, the police turned up. <laughs> and, uh, they said uh, we were driving along with a, a series of cars behind us and uh, we saw Valentino come past us at over 200 kilometres an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ortenzi had to front the police at the, at the front of the uh, factory and just say, Nah, he's he's not at work today. <laughs> Basically, blag it. But uh, yeah, he he's a he's a super cool character. He's he, he's um in charge of all of like Asia Pacific stuff. So he's he's got a real handle on what's going on in in China and Japan, mm -hmm. and also in Australia where Lamborghini's doing pretty well, and the the Urus is a key model for them, and uh, I think it'll. Do really well. It's, it would be growing their sales, wouldn't it? But I want to know what Phillip Island was like, mate. Yeah. Which was your favourite car? And I want to know how you went on that ironically named Turn One, Doon Corner. What was so <laughs> What was so strange was was that you had the Aventador V12, which when it came out, it, it felt like a much more modern thing than that which went before it. Mm -hmm. But compared to the Huracan Evo, it felt like a dinosaur. Yeah, the, the chassis flex in the vehicle, um, just just the way it put its power down. The the Huracan was just so nimble. It's got that four-wheel steering, the Evo. It's, it's just all of a piece. And the harder you drive it, the better it gets. It's not, it's not the most tactile thing, but it's a, it's a real driver's car now. There's the old Ferrari thing where, you, you know, you pay for the engine, you get the rest of the car for free. For the Lamborghini Aventador, I think you pay for the looks and get the rest of the car for free. <laughs> Would you I, agree, Dan? I, I you drove that car, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I drove that. I was lucky enough to drive that at the um, the F1 circuit in Bahrain. And and what Andy says is is exactly right. What I found the first couple of laps, I went out in that car and I thought I'm never going to be able to get to grips with this car. It's just too much. It's an absolute assault on the senses. I don't know where to start. But you just start. It 
pushing it a little bit harder, a little bit harder, and it completely makes sense the faster you go. And which, which begs the question, why would you buy that car to use it on the road? It just it simply is is an ornament on the road. You're not going to get anything out of it. You may as well go for the 582, the cheap one, in inverted commas. That's what I'd have. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, it's an s- astonishing car. Yeah, what was the, the difference between the Performante and the Evo? Was it much? I liked your Italian accent then. That's the Performante was, was slightly quicker in... If, if you know what you're doing. For, for most of the people, most of the time, I think the Evo is a, is a better car. Mm-hmm. Um, I got in the Aventador and I, I didn't actually fit. Uh, <laughs> I was too tall. They put this helmet on, on my head that, that was vast, this, this Stilo helmet. And I, I kind of squashed down into the car and had my knees up either side of the steering wheel, switching on the windscreen wipers with my knees everywhere I went <laughs> in the thing. And uh, I realised that when I, when I got into it, I either had to have my head fully cranked over to the left or fully cranked over to the right to, to, to drive the car. And I figured, well, you know, the, the track goes around anti-clockwise, so I'll, I'll crank my head over to the left. <laughs> so, so I'm leaning into the corners and I'm a bit racy, you know. Um, but it was just horrendous because as soon as you go around a right-hander with your head leaning completely the wrong way, it, oh. is, it is massively disorientating. And you're in something with, you know, a 750 horsepower car. And uh, at one point, I got completely screwed up by this and just uh, <laughs> no, I've got to get out of this car. I don't fit in it. Who needs fast. a hands device when you can just wedge your helmet against the roof? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what sort of speeds were we seeing down the straight? They'd get to about 300. So, um, really? On the, on the braking zone, yeah, for turn one. Wow, that's and, incredible. Uh, the, the first time I went down there, I said to you, I've only been to Phillip Island once. I've only driven it once. I don't really know it very well. Turn one's flat. Yeah, I, just, I <laughs> <laughs> said no one ever. <laughs> In a Hyundai XL. <laughs> I, I said to the guy, the lead instructor, I said, oh, where do you end up if you outbreak yourself for turn one? And he just went, nowhere good. <laughs> <laughs> Tasmania. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a cool experience. 300 kilometres an hour is about the indicated speed of someone partaking in the uh, circle work at the Denny Ute Muster. Yes, oh. right, yep. Now, Dan, Dan, speaking of getting scared witless, I was lucky enough to watch your little video that you posted on the Witch Car Instagram just yes, yesterday, in fact. This. I don't uh, know what you're talking about. Take your partner to work day? Is yes. this something I didn't know about? Oh, look at, look at the time. We've got 10 <laughs> seconds to discuss this. It's a podcast. It's a flexible time. All there. right. Okay. Are we saying this is a special occasion because we're recording from the SB? Yes. In, no, we're yeah. saying because I'm the boss, it'll go as long as I bloody <laughs> will. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me why ben you look so terrified and tell me if your relationship survived you calling her a maniac and psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he loves most about okay. it. So in the interests of domestic um, uh, bliss... I did what everyone, I encourage everyone to do, and that is to go to work for a day with your partner. It proves that you're, you know, you're considerate and you're invested in their lives and you're interested in what they, they get up to, you know, on the nine to five. So I did that. It just happened. What tosh. It just so happens. <laughs> you wanted to ride in a rally car. <laughs> it just so happens that my partner is a rally driver, professionally. And that's exactly what I did. So I went for a ride and it was bloody brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. So her car is the uh, Subaru Do Motorsport, the factory Subaru, um, heavily modified WRX STI. And I was lucky enough to jump into the co-driver's seat uh, for a lap uh, during testing. And it was one of the best things I've ever done in a car with her. So, you know, allow that to just sort of you know, fill in some detail. Jesus. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was bloody spectacular. The car is phenomenal. She is even more phenomenal. And uh, I didn't cry. Um, there was a few emotional moments. I I've never to... heard a person read like... <laughs> <laughs> what would she say if you said, can I have a go? 
Um, no. Sh- I, everyone, <laughs> everyone involved. The person who owns the team, the car, the mechanics, her, everyone would say no. So, uh, and they'd be all the better for it too. So would I. <laughs> so would I. So who drives normally when you and Molly Ooh, good are question. cruising around? Um, well, it's we fifty fifty. We share okay. pretty much. Um, depends whose whose car it is really. Yeah, um, fair enough. But no, the funny thing is, is she'll get to the end of a, a, a race, you know, and as you would know, Scotty, done a bit of rallying. You know, you're, you're it's an incredibly um, intensive concentration. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is drive. Exactly. Yeah. So that I always find it amusing at the end of a, a rally, she makes Malcolm, the co-driver, jump in and drive her home. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> she just she's done. She's totally spent. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm very happy to ferry my partner Molly around. Very good. So watch this. But it was a very it was it was a brilliant experience. If you uh, if you ever feel you want to do the considerate partner thing, where go can, to work with your Where partner. can people watch this video, Dan? Well, you can see all of our fine coverage <laughs> and videos, not just the <laughs> Take Your Partner to Work Day, uh, at witchcard.com.au. Thank you for asking, there Scott. We go. And that very nice and neatly uh, winds us up for another instalment of Witch Car Weekly, um, where we have been recording with great pride and privilege from the SB Hotel in St Kilda, um, and where we would love to record from again. And uh, and if you uh, would like to tune in, please do. Everybody, same same place, same time. Um, uh, Witch Car Weekly is the podcast. You can find it on Podbean and wherever else you get your podcasts. And for all our other fabulous content, you can either pick up a magazine from a newspaper, a news agent shelf, uh, or witchcar.com.au is the website. Until next time, very, very thank you so much, Glenn, for joining us. Boss, it wasn't as, wasn't as much of a train wreck as I was expecting. Oh, thank you, I think. <laughs> uh, Scott and Andy, the regulars, uh, until next time. My name is Daniel Gardner, and uh, we'll talk to you all again very soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>